Amen. Good morning. That was awesome to have the kids again lead us in some worship. And, and then the, the story, which I thought was phenomenal, from, from Les. And so, to follow suit, I have three points this morning. Exactly. Three points this morning. Depending on how you look at it. So it is, it is good to be able to worship God together, and that's awesome, and I think that as part of our fellowship, we're always uh, knowing what's going on in other people's lives, and I, I do believe that I saw on Facebook that the butcher shop is open. Is that true? It's not true. I thought I saw it on Facebook, and I thought I saw somebody wearing a hat. Pardon? Guy Fox Day. So that's not a plug or anything, but the butcher shop is open on Guy Fox Day. And uh, so that'll be cool. Go over there and get your meat from Nikki the Butcher. I just think that sounds good, right? Nikki the Butcher. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, the Chop Shop. Chop Chop. What's it called? Chop Chop Butchers. Chop Chop Butchers. Raymond has a hat, doesn't he? Wear it? Let me see the hat, bro. Yeah, look at that. Whoa. That's what I'm talking about. We can all get one of those. Chop Chop Butcher. Awesome. Uh, we're in John 15, so you can turn there. But before we do, just want to take a moment to pray. One of our brothers who's at university, his name is Peter. Uh, he's from Vietnam, and his auntie back in Vietnam has liver cancer, and it's spread to different areas of her body, and, and it's not looking too well. So he's actually sorting out his travel now in order to go back home to be with his auntie. And it's, it's auntie that's close to him. She's helped kind of raise him. So that she grew, he grew up with her in the house all throughout secondary school and even some of primary school. So he's going to take a trip back to, to be with his auntie and be with his family. So we want to take a moment to pray for him and, and pray for his auntie and his family as well. So let's do that together. Father, thank you so much that we're able to worship and, and see the kids worship and how it really encourages our hearts. And uh, also, God, we want to take some time to really pray for our brother Peter as he, he'll travel, travel back to Vietnam. And we pray that you give him a, a deep sense of faith and a deep sense of your sovereignty, that you're in, you're in control of everything. And as a result of that, that you can perform miracles. And, and even in the case that you don't, that it doesn't shake our faith because we know that you work for the best of those who love you. Uh, and at the same time, we really do pray for a miracle, God. We pray that you'll work in his auntie's life and, and he can be a beacon of light to his family and that you give him strength in these, in these uh, trials. And we pray that as a fellowship that our prayers are with him and that we can encourage him as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're over in John 15. And we'll have a lesson with three points this morning. And some of you may have seen the marathon runners. We had a couple run, run in this morning. They, they ran straight to church from the marathon. Craig over there and then John, John Perez ran as well early this morning. So they ran a marathon and come to church. That's what I'm talking about. That's awesome. That's awesome. So our context here is in John 15. Since chapter 13, Jesus has, has pulled away from the crowds and started to teach his disciples privately, which would be awesome. Jesus is always teaching publicly, but now these guys get some private training and instruction from Jesus. And, and most, most of his discussion, most of his teaching is about what will happen after he leaves. So he's really trying to strengthen them and encourage them to finish the race, but also how to do that. And John 15 is part of that. It's a famous passage about the vine and the branches, but we'll look at three points this morning from this passage. 
We'll talk about three roles because in this in this scripture and in, in life and in the Bible, everything kind of fills a role. So we'll talk about the role of the vine. What does the vine do in this passage? Also, we'll look at the role of the gardener. What is his role and what is he supposed to do? And then lastly, the role of the branches. What is their purpose? What are they supposed to do? Let's read together starting in John 15 verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. And and this is reminiscent of chapter 14, where the Holy Spirit constantly abides and remains in us. In other words, the Holy Spirit does his job. And then we're called to do ours by remaining in Jesus. The latter half of verse 4, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. And so you see a lot of God revealing himself through Jesus is relational. When you know somebody, you reveal yourself to them. That's what God does to his disciples through Jesus, reveals himself. And in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. So let's talk about the role of the vine. First of all, in this passage, there's there's three characters, I guess. There's the gardener, there's the vine, and there's the branches. And, and the vine has a role to, in a sense, mediate between the gardener and the branches. And in verse 1, that's where Jesus will say, I am the true vine. Throughout the Gospel of John, he over and over says, I am bread of life. I am living water. This is the last I am statement for the Gospel of John. And he doesn't just say, I am the vine, but he says, I am the true vine. Implying that all other methods are false. And he alone is the true vine. But what does that mean? What did his disciples think that meant when he says, I am the true vine? In the Old Testament, it was Israel that was called the vine. 
They were plucked out of Egypt, out of slavery, and planted in a sweet promised land. And Isaiah records this in Isaiah chapter 5. What more could have been done for my vineyard? God says, I... I chose you a choice vine, what more could I have done than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it only yield that? Now Isaiah 5 goes on to give a little bit of judgment because the vine wasn't producing fruit. So, as a result, God says, here's what I'll do to the vine. I'll take away its hedge, it'll be destroyed, I will break down its wall, it'll be trampled, I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor Cultivated. What does all that mean? Israel was supposed to be the vine. They didn't live up to the expectation. Therefore, they got judged. Right? And now, when Jesus comes on the scene, already in the Gospel of John, he said, I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than all of the feasts. I'm greater than all of the holy days. I'm greater than Moses. And now he'll say, I'm greater than the entire people of Israel. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And he'll supersede Israel as the vine. And in a bigger picture, Israel doesn't get judged now. But Jesus gets judged for all humanity. And so as as part of the role of the vine is this mediating role between God and humanity. Israel doesn't get the judgment. Jesus gets the judgment for you, for me, and for mankind. And it would look like this in some sense where in in the parable it's the gardener, the vine, and the branches. And the vine is the in-between between the gardener and the branches. But in the bigger picture of life, it's God, Jesus, and humanity. And Jesus plays that mediating role for every one of us. And praise God for that, that Jesus is the mediator. He serves as a mediator, but he also serves as ongoing nourishment as the true vine. Another parable that Jesus talks about is in Luke 13, where he says, this guy had a vineyard. It wasn't really producing any fruit. This is a paraphrase. The actual passage is up here. It it didn't, and it was a vineyard and it wasn't producing any fruit. So I know what I'll do. I'll go and I'll chop it down. But, but somebody, the caretaker says, no, not yet. Don't chop the tree down. Give me three more. Give me one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. And then if it doesn't work, fine, then cut it down. And so even in this parable, we see that Jesus is mediating for the vineyard. And he's constantly, he's, no, just wait, don't, don't bring your wrath yet. Give me a little more time. Let me dig. Let me fertilize. Let me teach. Let me instruct. Let me have some more time before you cut it down. And so again, we see this picture of the vine or the true vine Jesus mediating on my behalf and on your behalf. Now, since Jesus is the true vine, what does that mean for our lives? Well, what should that imply? Well, it implies a lot for both people that are seeking God and for us as disciples. If you're seeking God but not yet a Christian, you have to look at it in some sense. Jesus is still buying you time. Don't, don't, don't take them off the planet yet. Give me some more time. I think something, I might, I might orchestrate an event, a circumstance, a scenario that softens their heart to the gospel. Just give me more time. 
That's Jesus mediating on behalf of humanity. Of you, if you are seeking God and not yet a Christian. And there's a myth that you have to get your life all in order before you become a Christian. That's not so. Jesus, as the mediator, has already gotten everything in order. Your job is to believe in Him and to remain in Him and stay nourished by Him. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might think, I can get connected to other vines. That's why Jesus says, I am the true vine. But in the world, there's this cyclical effort of everything you try to get nourished by actually enslaves you. And it's just a vicious, vicious cycle. Maybe it's gaining attention for a relationship from the opposite sex. It starts out as flirting. And then after a while, that doesn't really work. And then it upgrades to maybe you want to have coffee with them. And then that doesn't work for a while. And then it upgrades. But what's happening is you're being enslaved by that attention. That's not going to nourish you. Or the instant gratification of pornography. You know, that that may work for a second, but that'll only upgrade. Now, you you can't look at it for five minutes. You have to look at it for 10 minutes or 30 minutes. And it continues to upgrade. That thing you think is going to nourish you will enslave you. And it's a vicious cycle. Or maybe it's the pursuit of significance in a career. You get one promotion. That's not going to satisfy. You're going to keep being driven by this vicious cycle. And it will eventually enslave you. But the vine... Jesus mediates for you and says, I'll give you actual, genuine, true nourishment. And, that, and that's what that means. We have to accept that. And for, for those of us that are disciples, when you become a disciple, that means we depend on Jesus for ongoing nourishment. For ongoing sustainment. The same way that secular efforts enslave, religious efforts enslave also. So we have to stay, we have to understand that Jesus is the true vine. And and the more you try to stay religious on the outside, but your heart isn't getting dealt with, that's also a vicious cycle of enslavement. The more you push people away and you don't let them get into your heart, the further you get from God. And it's a vicious cycle where you maintain your appearance and your image, but your heart isn't being connected to the true vine. So that's the role of the vine. It mediates for us and praise God for that. We don't have to work hard to earn it. God has already done the work through Jesus, and we believe and we accept Jesus as the true vine. Amen? Amen. Point number two is the role of the gardener. Now here's where Jesus gets specific in verse 2 about his role. He, He, referring to the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Now in agriculture, we probably understand that idea, we, we appreciate that, and we accept that. If a tree is not producing fruit, you cut it so that it will be more fruitful. If it doesn't, you just cut it down. We can accept that and appreciate that in agriculture. But spiritually, that's probably a little bit harder to swallow. Especially if it's you or me, right? And, and so we, we might confuse the idea of the role of the gardener or, or resist the idea or wrestle with these ideas because we think, oh, but I, I thought, I thought be, becoming a Christian was meant an easier life. Not necessarily because the gardener prunes and, and cuts off. But what does that mean? And, and, and part of that idea is, you know, ongoing discussion about what does it mean to be bearing fruit? Well, it's a wide range of things. It means your personal devotion to Jesus. 
It's at the bottom. The English word is at the top. Kathiro is how that's pronounced in the Greek language, which when it translates to an English word, it's cathartic. And so if you don't know what that means, that, that's something that's cathartic produces relief. For instance, if I'm in turmoil and I cry and then I feel better, that's cathartic, right? Because I've released, now I feel, oh, good. There's, there's a bit of a painful process, but it releases something. So that's the idea of, of cathartic, but that's that actual word in the Greek where, where the pruning, it does create a little bit of stress, it does create a little bit of uncomfortableness, but it produces something, and it produces more fruit. It's actually a paradox, if you think about it. Like, more stress and more hardship equals more growth. That, that's not necessarily how I want to grow. But that's what pruning is all about. And the role of the gardener is to help us be pruned. <clears throat> it's also what Jesus says in verse 3. He uses the same word, clean. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So part of the pruning process is, is Jesus' word staying in us. And that's what he says also. If you remain in me and you remain in my words, you'll be, be fruitful. So part of the pruning process and, and helping us deal with who we are is staying, is staying intimately connected to God's word. And that's what, that's what he's being discussed here. But he also talks about being cut off, which doesn't sound as encouraging. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. That's actually exactly what the scripture says. I find that a little bit hard to deal with. That means there's an expectation for me as a disciple of Jesus and for you and for us to bear fruit. At some point, I don't know the timeline of that, only God knows, but I do know this is judgment language. There's no way to twist this. There's no way to confuse this. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Later on, he'll say in verse 6, if you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. There's really no way to wiggle around that. <laughs> if, if you don't stay close to Jesus, if you, don't, if you don't let the gardener prune you, there's potential of being cut off. And that's obviously bad. Judas would be an example in this case. Doesn't stay close to God. Doesn't stay close to Jesus. He's not around by this time. Paul actually refers to this same concept, which it's quite deep in Romans 11. And he says this later in, I think, verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the same nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. What in the world is he talking about? When the Jewish people didn't listen... And they didn't have the faith, and they didn't obey. God cut them off, and eventually allowed the Gentiles to come in. Now that's a bigger picture pruning. Where, where God says, okay, my, pe my own people don't want the gospel message. I'll cut them off, and I'll graft in another people, the Gentiles. 
And so that's what he's saying. If some of those have been broken off and, you know, but don't, that's referring to us. Don't get too arrogant. Then he'll go on to say, later in that same passage in Romans 11, consider the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you'll be cut off. And so the same thing he's saying, like, you know, look, God has already done this massive pruning with Israel and allowed all of us to come. But praise God for that. Let us don't get arrogant or we'll be cut off, too. And someone else will come in. And that's that's the role of the gardener is this constant pruning and constant cutting off. I, I believe the Bible says it happens on an individual level. We all get pruned. But it also, in the case of Israel, happens on a collective level. Or nations get pruned, or Bible talks get pruned, or churches get pruned, or our movement gets pruned. This is the role of the gardener. But pruning benefits the whole plant. It keeps the entire plant healthy. Uh, since this is true, it does have application in our everyday lives. First of all, I believe we need to appreciate the kindness of God. That's what Romans 11 says. When Paul says about it, he says, hey, God has this dual nature. He's stern and he's kind. And we need to be immensely grateful for his kindness. Because the pruning in your life has a purpose. It's not arbitrary. It's not some existential crisis that you're encountering. It's a purpose to make you more fruitful. Now, included in that is, is a spiritual discipline of sorts where you, have to, where you have to view everything happening to you in that lens of God is pruning me to be more fruitful, which allows you to respond positively and not complain about what's going on in your life, right? But we have to appreciate, man, think, and I know that it's, it's like hard <laughs> to do that, to say, thank you, God, for these pruning. Thank you, God, for these trials. But it produces more fruit. And if we appreciate, that's God's kindness, actually, helping us to be more like Jesus. It's a challenge for me as a disciple, but also as a leader. Personally, leadership is like a laboratory of pruning for me. Every time I speak, it's publicly. So... There's a bit of pruning that goes on. And it, when I meet somebody privately, if I say something the right way or if I say something the wrong way, there's still a constant process of pruning going on. And I have to think, man, thank God for that. Thank God for his kindness. <laughs> it allows this ongoing process of pruning. Every decision I make or every decision I don't make, there's a constant pruning. Every breath I take, every move I... No, that's the police. That's the wrong song. They'd be watching me. But I think that, that's the way we all have to think. Thank God that God's kind enough to help me to keep growing. I'd rather be a tree of apples than one apple. And, and that's what Jesus does through the role of the gardener. Now, this, this also applies very specifically to teenagers because I think they, they are our future. Amen for that. Every encounter you have at school prunes you to become more like Jesus. And that's the hard years. Those are tough years where the pressure of the world is so immense. Everybody's trying to get you to fold. Everybody's trying to get you to conform. But that's pruning you to be more and more like Jesus. And that's awesome. And you have to appreciate the kindness of God for that. After three or four years of that, you come out a steadfast man or woman. And then you enter into the university where it's a new pruning process. And now you've got to adapt your schedule and you've got to learn to be faithful. But then you exit university, a steadfast man or woman, and then you become more and more like Christ. 
And we have to appreciate that kindness. And then as a single, you work and you get a job. That's the prayer. That's the goal. Amen, by the way. A long-term job. And, and then you learn long-term evangelism. Or you have co-workers that you're constantly reaching out to. And you learn that God is constantly pruning me. You learn the pruning of relationships where you learn what doesn't work and what does work. And then you get married and your marriage prunes you and refines you. Amen. And then you have children. And then the pruning keeps going. But if you view it with this lens, every opportunity is God's kindness offering you as an individual and us as a church to become more and more like Jesus. Pruning is painful, but if you think about it, injections prevent disease, right? Surgery removes cancer and stitches close wounds. Pruning makes us more fruitful. That's the role of the gardener. Now, in contrast, we also have to respect God's sternness can't just appreciate his kindness, but we also have to respect the sternness. After time, God doesn't allow repetitive sin. You can't continue a lifestyle that's blatantly disobedient and remain close to God. You can't do it. And you can't think that you'll get away with it. Because God will cut you off to make the church more fruitful. Now that's harsh, but that's true. And I, and I, and I feel this personally, and I, you've, you've probably felt it before, and, you know, that we all are open to change as long as there's change we want. But when it's an area we don't think we need it, we resist it. And, and often, and I, and I know this from when I read the scriptures, the very people that were getting cut off didn't think they were getting cut off. Their response was, Abraham is our father. It, and John the Baptist says, the axe is about to cut you down. And I, we really have to respect God's sternness because God doesn't allow blatant, ongoing, repetitive sin, but for so long. And then you'll get chopped down. That sounds harsh, but that, that's the way this passage says. Now, <clears throat> I think that those in our church, in our church here, that think they're not going to get cut off are probably the ones in danger of getting cut off. Does that make sense? Because when you have a fear, when you appreciate God's sternness, there's always kind of a fear and reverence. But when there's kind of a detached aloofness, you better watch. You better watch because the axe is coming. Lastly, the role of the branch. Now, this is the encouraging part. According to Jesus, all we have to... The, the role of Jesus is the mediation. That's a lot of work. He, he dies for us. The role of the gardener is the pruning and the cutting off. And our role, in context of all that, is just, hey, stay close. That's awesome. I was talking with Megan about it. She said, I love this command because it's, I feel like I can do this one. <laughs> when you talk about be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, I think, oh, that's not going to happen. But when I can, all I have to do is remain in Jesus. Not all that I have to do, but if, if the command is remain in Jesus, I feel like I can achieve that. And over and over in this chapter, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, verse 10, remain, 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 remain. It's this abiding, ongoing, continuing relationship. And the rest of the chapter really is an elaboration on what it means to remain. And so it's essentially that Jesus has an ongoing, permanent presence in your life and in our life. And we're remaining close to that. We're holding on. And we can achieve that. We can hold on. We can remain. Everything else might be falling apart in life. 
But we can remain in Jesus. We can do that. But it does address some areas in our life that I think the Bible would like to address. I think, firstly, it addresses our independence. Because remaining, remaining in Jesus means you're interdependent. You depend entirely on the nourishment of the vine. But that challenges us because we are independent creatures. That starts back in the garden where they wanted to do what they thought was best. There was an independence. It carries on throughout our life. As young children, we want to do what we want to do. It carries to our teenage years where we want to do what we do. It carries on to adulthood where we want to do what we want to do. There's an independence in us that this challenges. And praise God for that. Because we all need interdependence. And the role of the branch is to be interdependent on Jesus. We, we live in a pretty independent, individualistic culture. And so everything is about promoting you and your rights and what you should do. And, and, but the Bible says it's actually upside down. You elevate the group over the person. There's this interdependence in church community. Now what I find really striking is that Jesus pulls away with his disciples to give them like incredibly deep preaching. Incredibly profound instruction. And like, man, this is really good stuff. John 13 through 17. Imagine spending and sitting at the feet of Jesus and being nourished and instructed with these profound truths. But noticeably absent is Judas. Who's independently gone off and done his own thing. And as you think and and meditate through that, you think missing the body and the fellowship doesn't affect you? You better think again. Your independence will have you cut down at some point. And, and you think that missing, you know, we have Bible talks in midweeks, and, and you think that missing doesn't affect you? Look at Judas. He's not around for the deepest teaching, the teaching that would save these disciples. And you think it's all about just coming to church? Don't equate church with Christianity. Yeah. It's about remaining in the vibe. That's the role of the branch. Yeah. There's a consistency. You remain. It may be hard, but you put the scriptures first above your own independence. Yeah. That's what it means to remain in the vine. You're consistent. It also means you have a consistent life. Now, at some point, there used to be the kind of joke when people grew up in church. They say, well, I had three different lives. I was one person at church. I was one person at home. And I was one person at school or one person at work or however many lives you had. But now there's an added element. You can be another person online. And it probably applies more to our youth than it does to the older unless... It applies to those that are older on Facebook or whatever. But I think it's a challenge because you can be a completely different person online. And you build this network that's not even really real. There was a counselor who had a guy in his counseling session. He said, tell me about your best friends. And he said, there's Bud and Billy and Bob. I don't know their names. He said, well, tell me what they like, what they don't like. And he tells him, he says, well, when did you hang out with them last? He says, I don't. They're my friends online when I play video games. Is that, those are your best friends? Yeah. 
And it, you know, you have to be consistent. Who you are at church has to be who you are at school, has to be who you are at work, has to be who you are online. It's all the same. Remaining in the vine means you are one person wherever you are. You don't build a profile with filters to look like... You know, look at me, look at, look at, let me, let me craft myself so people will like me. No, remain in the vine, remain in the vine. It also means that we have to be consistent over the long run. You know, initially you may not see results in your Christian life, but remain in the vine. It means we have to keep the standards high. As the church grows, the standards can lower. That's kind of a natural phenomenon, but, and the standard of discipleship can lower. But remaining in the vine means you have a high standard of discipleship all your life. Amen. It doesn't go down. Our relationships to disciple, they have a high standard. We, we continue to teach each other to obey all our lives. And there's a relentless devotion to the mission all our lives. Because we remain in the vine. And these high standards bring clarity when we remain in the vine. John 15 is, is a lot of deep teaching from Jesus to his disciples, but it also passes on to us. Because we need to know our role. We need to know the role of the mediator. We all need to know that Jesus has done the hard work and we must believe in him and accept him. He's already orchestrated everything through the cross. And he offers us to be reconnected to God as the mediator. Praise God for that. We also need to know that the gardener prunes and cuts. Pruning makes us fruitful, but don't think you won't be cut off if you deliberately live a sinful lifestyle. And lastly, the call is for all of us to just remain and hold on to Jesus. Keep the standards high. Keep discipleship high. Keep the mission high. As long as we remain in Jesus. Amen.